are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2. I'm greatly impressed with the truth that's on, well, chapter 3 it is, laid on my heart this morning, more than usual. Everywhere you turn in the Bible, you find God is concerned about one thing, that's keeping people out of hell. You find soul winning as much in the Old Testament as in the New, if you look for it. For example, it's in Daniel where the scripture says, They be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. It is in Proverbs 11.30 that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that win his souls is wise. It's in Psalm 51 where David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's in Psalm 19.7 the scripture says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So then, uh, God has in mind soul winning throughout the Old Testament too. Now in Ezekiel chapter 3, begin with verse 4. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee into the house of Israel. Speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely I have sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken to thee, for they will not hearken to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Bold I made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though there be a rebellious house. I heard also the noise of the wings of a living creatures that touched one another. Now verse 14, so the Spirit lifted me up, I missed some, now verse 10. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I speak of thee, then receive in thine heart, hear with thine ears, and go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of the people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Now verse 14, so the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the best in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv, that dwelt by the river of Chebar, and sat where they sat, remained there, astonished among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, then and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked in the turn, and turn, uh, turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when the righteous man did turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I left something back before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not and doeth not sin, he should surely live, because he is warned, also thou hast delivered thy soul. The Lord says, Ezekiel, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. They are in captivity because of their sins. I want you to go. Will you notice he said, and give my word to them. Not something you made up, not your own entreaty, but give my word to them. And he said, you go 
You know, all the words that I give you, you'll go to, go to them. He said, then I was caught by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and taken over to uh, where they were, at the, by the river Chebar. I sat where they sat. I was astonished certain days. I was in bitterness of soul. Oh, the burden for these poor, wicked, lost people. And he said, don't be afraid. You'll have to be bold if you're going to speak for God, if you're going to be a soul winner among these people, because they're hard-hearted, and that's true today. And then this when I say to the wicked, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked, there's wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his sins. Everybody that doesn't get warned goes to hell. And then he says, if you warn the wicked, and he turn not, you've delivered your soul. But he said, if you don't warn him, his blood's on your hand. And he said, the righteous, if you preach to Christian people, and uh, you warn them like God says. And then, if a generation of wickedness, if their boys go to the devil, the girls turn out to be harlots, if their families are broken up by divorce, if the curse of God comes on the nation, then you've delivered your soul if you warned them. But if you didn't warn them, well, another family will be ruined, a plague, an awful curse on a family like that on the Kennedy family I mentioned. And other ruin will come, and you'll be to blame. You'll have blood on your hands. Then Dr. Parker, people, a preacher, is going to have to answer to God for the people around it. Now, I want you to consider several things that stand out in this, this Old Testament teaching about a prophet of God. First of all, he said, uh, Ezekiel, I'm not sending you to far off people, to people of, of, hard, uh, of hard language and strange speech. I'm sending you to your own people, Israel. Now, that reminds me, that's the way God does it all the time. You remember in uh, the Great Commission is given in Luke 24 and verse uh, 47 and following that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You begin at Jerusalem. He said it's the same way in Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive, uh, when ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost to come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, that's first, and in all Judea, that's next, and then in all Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. God's plan is begin where you are. Why were they to begin in Jerusalem? Because they were in Jerusalem. Now, you, if I'm a heretic, all right, make the most of it. There's a broad, widely spread idea that um, your first obligation is to foreign missions. That simply is not true. Oh, there's a widespread doctrine that if you want God to bless your church, you must give your money to foreign missions. Don't misunderstand me. The best soul winning churches do support foreign missions nearly always. They're usually the best givers to foreign missions. But God's first responsibility on you, the folks at home, the first one. I knew a church. I knew it well. I attended long. They had supported 40 missionaries on the field. They only had four professions of faith in a year's time at home. And those were little children went one in the home. Now, that church didn't please God, and the young people went to the devil, and the kind of mission as they supported didn't win souls on the foreign field either. No, your first duty is not somebody in the strange speech and fall language. Your first duty is to the folks at home. You remember the case of the Gadarene demoniac? I was over there in the little sea of Galilee, and it's only 15 miles wide. And um, going over two weeks from, from, from yesterday, I'll leave again for a tour of Bible lands. And that's only seven or eight miles across, and over yonder and on the south side where there's some steep hills. The Lord went over there, and in the country of the Gadarenes, there was a devil-possessed man. And she said, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion. I've got a whole army of devils in me. Well, uh, and he, he went around naked, and he cut himself of stones, and he, he slept in the tombs where they buried the caves where they buried the dead bodies. And uh, this poor demon possessed and harassed man 
cried and ran about and they tried to, to chain him and he broke the chains of the supernatural devil's power. And uh, Jesus said, Come out of the man! And the devil said, uh, Well, uh, can we go on these hogs here? They'll herd of 2,000 hogs. And Jesus said, Yes, these Jews have no business making money out of the hogs if they're not supposed to eat pork anyhow. So he said, Go ahead. So the demons, they went in this, um, in this great uh, 2,000 hogs and they all ran down a steep place into the sea and committed hoggicide. And um, that was done with them. And so here the people come out of town and uh, they said, Here, Jesus, you leave our country. Now look here. Here's 4,000 Smithfield hams and all this black hawk bacon that's gone. Now you just leave our country. You're causing us trouble. Uh, but here's this uh, here's poor demon-possessed man. He's got his clothes on. People get right with God, put their clothes on. You listen to me. And up in heaven, they don't smirk and smile about that. Lewdness is dirty and wicked, and it's a sorry kind of testimony that anybody claims to be a Christian. So he put his clothes on, and he's sitting clothed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Ah, the trouble, the harassment of demons is gone. That's what God can do. Thank God I've seen it. I remember a man who tried to commit suicide in Dallas. And uh, and uh, they, uh, he turned on the gas in a little cheap hotel room. His wife had quit him. And uh, this doctor had just told him now he's got an incurable disease. And now he's lost his job in his depression times. He went up there and, and got a dollar for a room and turned on the gas. But our chambermaid smelled the gas. And with her past, he opened the door and opened the window, turned out the gas, called the ambulance, rushed him to the Methodist hospital. And when he got out that night, why... Uh, she went to see how he was, and he, and uh, she said, um, he told her all of his burdens, and life wasn't fit to live, and she told him how she'd fallen in sin, and lost her virginity, and her virtue, and, and her self-respect, and they said, we need somebody to pray for us. And they went down to Catholic priest's uh, rectory on 8th and Marcella Street, and it's 11 o'clock at night. And he said, Oi! They said, Father, will you pray for us? And he said, uh, I went Mass at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm no time to monk with you, and I think you're drunk anyhow. Get away from my door. And uh, so they left, and she said, Well, my mother goes to church. And uh, she thinks her preacher's the best preacher in Dallas. Let's go see Brother Rice. And he said, no, I can't take this being driven away from a door. I don't like that. I don't think I can. She said, if I call ahead of time, if he says, come, will you come? I said, yes. So they called, and Mrs. Rice answered the phone. I heard her talking. She said, well, well, uh, I'm sorry. Why, Brother Rice is sick in bed with the flu. I'm sorry. I know he'd be glad to see others. I said, wait a minute, Mother, what is it? She said, somebody wanted to come see you, and I told him you're sick in bed. I said, tell them, come on, to come back to the bedroom. And so they came, and past 11 o'clock at night, this poor man that had life wasn't fit to live, his wife's gone, his health is broken, and there's no job, and, and in despair, can't face a day and tried to kill himself. And here's this poor, sorry, a fallen woman. And they came, and I had, they told me this story, and I had them kneel down by the bed. I put my hands on their heads and prayed, and God in loving mercy fixed it. And the Catholic man saved first, and then after a little while the woman finally decided God would fix even a wicked woman like her. And as they sat up there, the man sat there, and he said, say, isn't this strange? I said, what's strange? He said, you know, I didn't know how I could face another day. I was just tormented. And he said, that's all gone. I said, I'm, everything's bright and happy, and I don't have any fears and troubles. He said, this just says peace. Isn't that strange? I said, no, that isn't strange. I've seen that happen to 10,000 people. 
That's what Jesus does. Listen, man, now, the devil's cast out and so in his right mind, and they said, Hey, Jesus, you get out of here. We don't care about this fellow. You, and the, the man said, Jesus, you let me go with you. You see, they don't care. I want to go with you, Jesus. No, Jesus said, no, you go back home and tell your own folks what great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he went back and told it to everybody in this city what wonderful things God had told him. Now, that's what God wants you to do. You better begin with the folks at your house and the folks that live where you live and no, you, no speech and hard language but your own crowd. That's it. Let's make this personal. How many have a brother or a sister unsaved? Let's see your hand. Hold your hand up high just a minute. Yeah, I'm good, many. How many have a father or a mother unsaved? Some will. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You've got somebody to work on. You better not be thinking about foreign missions or anything else till you get the one main thing done. Wait. How many have some in-laws? Brother-in-law, sister-in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law unsaved. Let's see. Unsaved in-laws. Have you? Oh, so many have. Yes, sir. Wait a minute. How many know somebody? You were in school with them. Or you work well, with where they work. Or they live next door. Or they're good friends. Somebody you know well and see often and they're unsaved. Let's see your hand. Somebody like that? Yeah. Well, um, uh, let me tell you. This New Testament Christianity begins first at Jerusalem. You're Jerusalem. You're Jerusalem. That's where you are. And that's what you'd better do. So Ezekiel, I'm not sending you to a far-off country and people of a hard language and a strange speech, but it's that you can't understand. I'm sending you to your own people. That's the way the Lord does it all the time. Now you listen to me. Uh, I understand. I'm for giving out tracts. I'm not for giving out tracts as an excuse for not winning souls personally. I am for foreign missions. I am not for foreign missions as an excuse for not doing the one main thing, the folks next door. Now, God, the light that doesn't shine bright at home won't shine very far anywhere. And you better get that settled. Now, some people have an idea. Take an ocean voyage. It'll make you a wonderful soul winner over in Africa. No, it won't. If you don't win colored people in this country, you won't win them in Africa. No. If you don't win your own folks, you won't win anybody else much. You know, one of the tragic things, and I think it's one of the best evidences, that God doesn't call women to be preachers and leaders and so on. I have seen all over America women preachers that had unsaved husbands and godless children going to the devil. Uh, God don't, he, a good woman said to Ari Tarr one time, Oh, she said, Dr. Tarr, I'm called to preach. I'm going to be an evangelist. You were called to preach? Yes. He said, well, I said, he said, aren't you? Oh, yes. He said, I've got a husband and eight children. Well, fine, Dr. Tarr. I said, you've got your congregation. Go home and start. Uh, uh, listen now, God's plan is you better win the folks next to you. So here it is with this man here, and uh, you must go. Uh, Joshua said, it's for me and my house we'll serve the Lord. God said, Abraham, I know him. He'll command his sons after me. That's where you start with your own. You see that? You remember to the jailer? Uh, Paul and Silas said, um, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and the same thing for your family. And the next four verses, every four verses, said, preach the gospel to him and all that is in the house. And uh, believed in God with all his house. And baptized uh, uh, straightway, he and all his. That's the Bible plan. Rejoice believing in God with all his house. That's the Bible plan. You get your own saved. I have little confidence in the kind of Christianity that don't work at your house and don't work with the people you know next door and the people in school with you. You better get that down settled. You talk about revival. 
I'll tell you when you'll have a wonderful revival. When this crowd right here, you just set out to get your own folks saved. There's some of you that ought never to eat another meal till you go to that dad or mother or that brother or sister. Or till you call them long distance and cry and pray and beg them to be saved. Or tell them I've got to come home and get it. If you don't get that crowd saved, you don't go to any, anybody else much. Uh, God's going to, you're a watchman of the house of Israel, your house of Israel, your own little crowd, your Jerusalem, that's right. Uh, some people, they use a term that's quoted three times in the book of Romans, to the Jew first. So they said, and I saw an ad the other day by my good friend, I'm on the board of Brother Garton House and Jewish Missions, and I'm for Jewish Missions, just like I'm for winning Gentiles and Jews and high school youngsters and children and drunkards and harlots and Catholics and Jehovah Witnesses and so on, the whole business, not to any exclusive group. But um, an ad the other day said, uh, God's command to the Jew first. No, it isn't. God's statement to the Jew first. God's stating that, that chronologically, that's the way it came. It's not a command you're to put the Jew first. You're to put Gentiles first if you're a Gentile. You're to put the folks in Winston-Salem first if you live in Winston-Salem. If I live in Murfreesboro, I'm to put Murfreesboro first. Is that God's plan? And, Brother Parker, if you don't win, if you can't win Penny, and if you can't win John, your born girl, then, Brother, you're in hard business running out here as an evangelist all over the country. God's plan is you win your own. That's where you better start. Also, oh, Ezekiel, go to your own. And let's see then. Note the spiritual conditions for real soul-winning work here. He said, uh, I ate that book he gave me, and in bitterness of soul, he said, I went. And I sat where they sat for seven days, and I was astonished with them. You know, if you don't enter into the burden and the sorrows and the tragedy and the emptiness and frustration and temptation, if you don't enter, enter into all the sad state of the poor fallen poor fallen lost sinners, you can't be much good. I know people try to win souls. Try to talk to win souls. Okay, go out and, and hey, you say, and don't even shake hands. Don't find a man's name. Don't learn whether it's married. Don't care. I don't care what about his children. You don't give a hoot. Well, you can't win it about that way. You know, that he that goes forth and weepeth. Did you know love has a wonderful thing? Nobody gets enough love. Nobody gets enough of that. You know that? I suppose you just, you're listening to my broadcast and you say, Brother Ice, your girl sure do sing sweet. You come around and see if I spit on you. That don't sound bad at all to me. <laughs> you know that? Nobody gets enough love and appreciation. And you can go, you can go to the most, uh, uh, to the most ardent uh, Orthodox Jew or to the most uh, devoted Catholic, and you can go to the craziest Jehovah Witness. But let me tell you, if you get right down where you love him and his family, and you want him to be blessed, and you care about his burdens, nobody gets enough of that. Ah, uh, there's an old saying I used to teach my little girls. Hearts like doors open with ease to their, their little keys, and don't forget the two of these, and thank you, sir, and if you please. Well, that's another way of saying that hearts open up when you really care, and there's compassion and burden and, and a sweet sympathy. You know, oh, we do need that. We do need that. Uh, Dr. Jack Hiles tells about a little girl who told him she was a little girl came in long dresses, hand-me-down dresses, and uh, and uh, tennis shoes, and uh, and uh, son of school, and sometimes dirty face, and her mother's a harlot, and, and works at a bar, and her father's gone, and uh, and so on. And she said, one came one day and said, Dr. Hiles, I'm going away, and you're my best friend. He said, I'm sorry. And she said, he said, well, she said, Dr. Mr. Hiles, she said, Mr. Brother Hiles, she called him, said, I'm, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm moving away. Well, he said, I told you, I'm sorry. I'm going to miss you. 
And finally she said, well, ain't you going to cry? And he said, yes, I'm going to cry. And he did cry. Now, don't you think you'd better get into this business of feeling like lost people feel and seeing their poor or lost conviction? I find a lot of lost people, they despise, a lot of Christian people, they despise lost people. We're driving past in Dallas, Texas, driving by Grant, uh, the baseball uh, uh, stadium there, and someone said, yeah, that crazy bunch that come out to a baseball game and I can't come come hear me preach. Well, I said, if you had as much doing as they got, you might get somebody to hear you preach. But uh, I do not, why should I despise the fellow that wants a little amusement? I don't go to baseball games much. I don't see anything special wrong about it, but that's not the point. Oh, the restless like sheep having no shepherd. No wonder Jesus looked on them and they were, the multitude, and he was moved with compassion. And so, uh, here, uh, with bitterness of soul, Ezekiel sits where they sit and is astonished with them before he has a message. I'll tell you, we sure need somebody to get learned to weep. We need somebody who, there's too much seed sown and never does rain on it. It doesn't sprout. There's too much gospel work done and the wicked that he turns from this wicked way and live and you speak not to warn him, he'll die in his sins. You mean everyone that isn't warned will die in his sins? That's right. That's right. That's right. You listen to this. God has no way of saving sinners except through Christians. Hear me now. God never saves a single lost person in the world who doesn't hear the gospel some way from somebody, some Christian. Don't you remember in Romans chapter 10, the scripture said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's fine. But the next verse 14, 10, 14 says, How shall I call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall I believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall I hear without a preacher or without a proclaimer? Uh, I don't mean formal pulpit preaching, but without somebody to herald it and tell it. Uh, how can I call on anybody that have not believed then? If they don't know there's a Savior, died for sinners. And now they're going to believe on him if they didn't ever hear about him. And now they're going to hear about it unless somebody tells it. That's it. You let them tell you. If you don't tell people how to be saved, then they're going to hell. Somebody has come your way. Somebody. You know, in uh, Luke 11, Jesus talks about praying for bread for sinners. He said, a friend of mine has journey has come to me. I have nothing said before him. A friend has come to me. There's somebody you can win. That very likely. As far as we humanly know, nobody else can. And as far as we can humanly judge, if you don't win him, he's gone to hell. A friend of mine has come to me. See that? Uh, some man have made you a watchman. If, you, if a watchman don't holler, if a watchman doesn't warn, you've got blood in your hands because there's no other way for him to hear it. No other way. Oh, there's somebody. You remember the case of Cornelius? He was a devout man. He was not a Christian, but he wanted to be. He was what we'd call a God-fearing man. He prayed every day. He fasted and prayed. He gave alms. He did all he knew. And an angel of God came down and said, uh, uh, Oh, fellow, he said, I, you want to say, don't you? Oh, yes, I sure do. Well, he said, I can't tell you. <laughs> You've got to get some Muslim saved, tell you. I can't tell you, but the Lord told me I can tell you where to find somebody. You send over to Joppa, to the house of Simon the Tanner, and uh, there you can... Uh, uh, he'll tell you whereby you and all your house can be saved. So Peter came back and told him how to be saved. Uh, it's an interesting thing that he uh, 
He let the cow out of the bag. Peter started to make a long sermon. He said, good night, these old heathen. I got preaching up to Jews, but a Gentile never heard the gospel. Boy, I'll have to go to the whole Venice. But he made one mistake. He told them how to be saved in the first of the message, and that broke up the meeting. That's just all his way for. So the Holy Spirit fell on people, and everybody was saved right then. He said, how do you know I intend to preach a long sermon? Because in chapter 11, when they got after him about preaching to Gentiles, he reported it. He said, as I began to speak unto them, the Holy Ghost fell on them as it did on us. <laughs> he said, I had a lot more to say, but I didn't get to say it. Uh, uh, God couldn't save Cornelius without Peter or somebody. God couldn't save that household unless somebody told him. An angel wouldn't do. God had to send somebody. Here's the case of that Ethiopian eunuch. He's going down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's got the Bible. And reading the Bible. And the um, Lord said, Philip, you go down there. He said, go ahead now. And Philip ran. I sure like for Philip to run when God says go. I think God does too. God let a lot more people win souls if you ran instead of fighting back and arguing with God. And so he ran drawn here. And so he said, he heard the fellow reading Isaiah 53, the most familiar passage on soul, on, on salvation in the Old Testament. Egypt, perhaps. And uh, he led like a lamb to the slaughter and so on. And, uh, and he said, uh, you understand what you're reading? And the man said, sadly, he's a government official. He's treasurer of the nation uh, down in Ethiopia. But he said, I can't, can unless some man should guide me. How can a lost man understand even the Bible unless somebody tells him? You see, that's God's plan. Now, if you don't win somebody, God has no other way to do it except somebody tell him. And people go into hell. Now, here's another word. And so the Lord says, you've got blood on your hands if you don't. If I warn them, and if you speak to warn them, you've delivered your soul. You do the best you can. You've delivered your soul. But if you don't speak to warn them, you've got blood on your hands. What do you mean, blood on your hands? That means that there's coming a judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to give an account for that. You know that? Oysters, my sins are under the blood. They're under the blood, but we must still all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And Paul says, not in the terror of the Lord. He's talking about terror for, for Christians. That is judgment. Not a judgment of lost sinners, a judgment of Christians. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul said. Uh, judgment seat, blood on your hands. Did you read uh, back down a few months ago in Harlem, New York, about a girl, Kitty Genoese, and um, and she stood out on the sidewalk, and a fellow came along she'd been dating. And I ran and called it to draw out a knife and stabbed her, and she cried and pleaded and said, Somebody help me, and said, Don't, don't, don't stab me with that. And uh, he'd stabbed her two or three times, and she cried and screamed, and she went away, and he, she fell down there. He went away, and as now they came back and finished the job. And 48 people, I believe it was, that looked out the windows or were nearby and saw it and heard her and didn't call the police and didn't interfere and let her go on and kill that man. It wasn't their business, was it? Just like it's not your business, but your neighbor going to hell, is it? Yeah, that's just like Cain, wasn't it? When he killed Abel, said, am I my brother's keeper? So you bloody murderer too. Yeah, yeah. Don't you think everybody that didn't interfere and didn't call the police and didn't want to be involved and there's none of that business and they might lose their friends, don't you think they were guilty of the blood of that girl got stabbed? Don't you think so? Yeah, just like you are guilty about people around you that die and go to hell. Ah, oh, yes. And blood on your hands. Blood on your hands. And um, I remember, and, uh, I remember in, uh, 
I was in a meeting in Roseburg, Oklahoma, big tent meeting, had a blessed meeting, had a lot of people saved. We had 400 professionals of faith in three weeks and three days. One night, among the crowd came by, and here I had all great crowd of converts, and people came to shake their hands, and I was watching, seeing about I could help. And here came a long girl, and cried her through there, and, and didn't speak to us, and she sat down. And I said, uh, she shook hands with me, and I said, are you saved? She said, no, I'm not saved. But she said, I want to talk about my mother. I said, well, wait a minute, what about you? No, she said, my mother. My mother's sick. The doctor says she won't live long, and she's wanting to get saved, and she doesn't know how. Will you come to see my mother? Yes, I said, I'll come. Where do you live? She said, out off the highway west. It's at the first White House on the left other side of the Davis Schoolhouse. In the strange, I remember the very terms. And I said, yes, I'll go. But the next day they had a Baptist Association meeting, and I was invited to speak, and I was speaking the revival campaign. And with the association, and one, two boys up there. I was busy, busy, didn't get there. Next morning I came, and I had the service, and in the morning service under the tent, man came, crowd out the pastor. After the service was over, he said to me, he said, you know what that man wanted? No. He wanted to make arrangements for the funeral of the woman we didn't get to see. She was wanting to be saved and begging somebody to tell her and send her lost daughter to ask somebody to tell her. And I didn't go. Oh, I know I was busy, but I shouldn't have been that busy. In Dallas, Texas, I preached one in 1932 and had daily radio broadcast and started a big open-air revival campaign. Out of that revival campaign grew what's now the Galilean Baptist Church and grew to 1,700 members and thousands were saved. But in the midst of that campaign, I helped build benches and helped give out uh, circulars and preach daily on the radio. And I led the singing and did the preaching and, and worked day and night. And I got a letter from a man, a card, just a card, a government postcard from a man. I said, Dear Brother Rice, I hear you every day on the radio. He said, I can understand your kind of preaching. I said, Brother Rice, I'm 80 years old. I said, I have a cancer. A doctor says I won't live very long. I said, Will you come and pray for me so I'll get ready to die? I'm not ready to die. I put that card up on the desk and I said, I'm going tomorrow to see that fellow. But I was busy, 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 and I didn't get to it. And another day, and another day, and another day, and that card sat there and accused me. And one day I called in a preacher boy and I said, Here, Neil, you take this, this address. Here's Carfare. You go downtown Dallas and change to a South Dallas car and get off a certain street and go down here. You see this man knock on that door and you see that man make sure he's ready to die before he leave and come back and report. All right, Brother Rice. And so he went. Downtown changed cars. South Dallas street car. Changed cars. Went down and knocked on the door. Knocked and knocked. Nobody answered. Knocked and knocked. Went out the side door and knocked. Nobody answered. Later next door, raised the window. Said, you want to see uh, young Mr. and Miss so-and-so? They're not home today. Said, they're out in the country. Said, the old man lived with them, died yesterday. They've gone to a funeral 15 miles in the country. But they'll be back tomorrow. Any words you want to give them? He said, no. No, no word to give them. Thank you. He came home. Said, Brother Rice, we're too late. man died yesterday. Now, I was doing all I could to win souls, but oh my. I, I, if Jesus brings it up and says, why didn't you go? What are we going to say? I wish now I hadn't, I, I wish I'd lost the night's sleep over it. I wish now I'd just missed two or three meals. I wish now I'd done anything if necessary. See? Blood on your hands. Now you listen to me. Uh, you say, oh, well, I'll be glad to see Jesus. Now some of you are going to be scared to death. Somebody's going to look into those eyes and find them stern and sad. 
Paul said, that's why I work so hard, so I'm going to be acceptable to him. So the labor said, so the weather present wraps us, we may be... Well, Paul, I should say, oh, yes, yes, I know, but i got so much to do. I know the terror of the Lord. We've got to meet that judgment. You've got to meet that judgment. You have. You know that? Blood on your hands. And about Christians, Dr. Parker, you well said last night, and I'm glad you stressed that too, that sometimes Christians, they aren't going to hell, but they may die in judgment of God on sin. I've known several dead, and not so far were. I knew four men in Dallas. I've known a good many people that God killed because they got into sin or worldliness and lost out. And you got blood on your hands about them. They won't go to hell, but to death and the breakup of a home and ruin of many a life. If a preacher doesn't warn against sin, got blood on their hands if they don't. Well, if there's anything a preacher ought to have positive message, you don't find that kind of talk in the Bible. The Bible said God is love and says our God's a consuming fire. Better preach both of it. Bible preaches heaven, but also preaches hell. You better put both in there. You know that? Bible says believe, also says repent. You better put that in there, in repentance first. More law than there is grace in the Bible, better have both of them. Blood on your hands. You that have loved us here, and I must let you go. I wonder how many here, don't you feel accountable for a brother or sister that's lost? Don't you feel accountable for your own mother and dad that are lost? I, down at Lake Louise, I... I mean, down at, um, at Bill Rice Ranch, I preached on soul winning. Dr. Hiles did, and my good friend Bud Lyles got a burden on his heart, his own mother. As far as he knows, his father died unsaved, and his mother was unsaved. And so he got vacation, got in his car, and drove up to Binghamton, New York, and he said, and greeted his mother, and he said, Now, Mother, you come in here in this room with me. And she did. And he said, Now, Mother, listen, now you sit here this time. I'm going to have to know because you're getting old. And so uh, she didn't know it, but he knew she had a cancer then. And he took the Bible and went into it step by step, and his mother said, yes, she'd trust the Lord. And she did. In six months she was gone. You better do something about it. You're going to have blood on your hands and answer to God, and it'll be an angry God. God gets angry with his children. He chastens every son he receives. You're going to answer for your loved ones. You know that. Let's bow our heads, please, for a moment. How many said, I have somebody I ought to win. Oh, at least I ought to warn them and get the blood off my hands. At least I ought to weep over them and sit where they sit and have bitterness of soul and sit astonished over it. And I ought to do all I can do to get some particular person saved. You got somebody you know? God's put in your heart. If it's not on your heart, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. How many says somebody like that ought to win? Let's see your hand. You thinking Arthur now? Are you? Yes, yes, thank you. All right, hands down. Now wait. How many say, well, God help me, I'll do something about it today. Or I'll do something about it, we'll say, this week, God give me grace. I will. I'll take that responsibility. I beg God to help me, and I'll try to find what to do. How many said, God help me, I will. Let's see your hand. This week. Will you do that? Yes, God, give us grace. Thank you, Lord. Make us soul winners, we pray. Bless the conference. Bless Dr. Parker now in this next service. And bless these students and the teachers and their classes. Oh, let a holy, 
hush and a holy awe of God rest upon all these buildings and people. And, oh God, surely you ought to start a fire in somebody's heart that'll never go out of passion for souls. Make it so. Lord, will you let me hear in the next few days about many people saved through the work of thus who hear today and who set out to do what we ought to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.